Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. We are saying as long as there is breath in our bodies, we will not forget you. If we don't deal with this issue now, the problem will get bigger. The lack of empathy. These women need to get over themselves. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. I tweeted last night, you know, that I thought after all my years in this old job doing what I do I thought I had a thick hard sceptical old skin and that nothing shocked me anymore I was wrong my son's brain went into a bin as if it was a piece of rubbish like you put rubbish in a bin why would you put my beautiful son's healthy brain into a bin She'll be talking to me later on on the opinion line uh, Leona Birmingham primetime I'd like to know what you thought of it Again, as we mentioned yesterday morning, not again. Like, it is not as if this is the first time this has happened. Not again. How the hell was it allowed to happen again? Leona's looking to know who signed off on it being done. And she's right, and I'll talk to her, as I said, on the opinion line later this morning. Also, latest idea of what they're going to do now to uh, give back, as it were, to frontline workers is an idea of a 500 euro tax-free voucher. Under the law, your employer can give you a voucher for 500 euro and you're not obliged to pay any tax on it. Now the idea is that the government might give that to frontline workers as well as a new public holiday. Inevitably, the question arises, well, who is a frontline worker? Who will get this 500 quid? Who should get this 500 quid? And you'd expect it, and it's already started. A ding-dong battle over who should qualify. Also, we have an update on the latest to do with Owen Akura. Busy, busy morning ahead. Want to go first, though, to Anne Mooney of the Irish Sun, who's writing today about a man we've heard of before. His name is Andrew O'Donovan from Butler's Gift, Drimaleague, County Cork. He was back at Cork Circuit Criminal Court, where he's been jailed. Remind us again, Anne, who is this man? Good morning. 
Good morning, PJ. Um, yes, Andrew Dunvan is, um, well, he's saying, it, it appears that he's in his mid-60s and uh, he is a farmer who lives uh, in an isolated area near Drimma League in West Cork. And he first came to uh, guard the attention and media headlines, I suppose, uh, when he was a patient in uh, Cork University Hospital um, and he was in a four-bedded ward Three of the people in the ward, believe it or not, were men. And the third was a 17-year-old girl. Um, This was back in February 2019, I think. Mm -hmm. And uh, he went, uh, the girl was asleep in her bed. And at five o'clock in the morning, um, the curtain moved. And in came uh, Andrew Donovan, who proceeded to um, sexually assault the girl in her bed. She couldn't move. Because of um, because the fact that uh, she was ill and she was uh, I don't know whether she was stitched or whatever, but anyway, mm. she couldn't move, so she couldn't defend herself. And um, he he um, he tried to kiss her, and then he left. But his elevated heart rate alerted heart rate alerted the staff who came and discovered that this had happened. Um, he was he was obviously charged by Gardaí, um for sexual sexual assault, and he came before uh, the Circuit Criminal Court uh, in February of last year, mm-hmm. when Judge Sean O'Donovan uh, imposed an eighteen month um, suspended sentence on him. Yeah. Um, now. The judge at the time was extremely critical of uh, the policy in CUH uh, to put a young girl like this in a ward with grown adult men. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he felt that they should review the, the their whole situation, the whole policy regarding this. Um, so move on to um, six months later, um, after he was sentenced and after he appeared in court last year, um, O'Donovan was actually um, at the bus station in Parnell Place um, where he approached uh, another 17-year-old girl uh, who was waiting for a bus, minding her own business. Absolutely, um, you know, she was on her own, but she, she, he, he just approached her randomly, I think, and uh, she didn't know him. And uh, he attempted to engage her in conversation initially, um, and then um, he moved away and he came back and he uh, lunged at her and attempted to grab her breast. So she, fortunately, she was quick enough to knock his arm away. But uh, that is termed a sexual assault, mm-hmm. uh, even, you know, the action itself. So she um, she got home <clears throat> and told her mother and they contacted um, the Gardaí about it. Um so the the he was up again then yesterday in the circuit criminal court uh, where he sat in the suit um, and the court was told that his wife had died and that um, he lived an isolated and very meagre existence um, somewhere in West Cork. We can't name the place, but uh, or we can name it. it was outside Drimmer League. We can't identify the victim. Um, so, so uh, on this occasion, Judge Dunvan said that obviously the uh, eighteen-month suspended sentence, which he had imposed, um, was obviously not a deterrent um, uh, to stop him doing this. Um, so he decided that it was time for um, a full. Well, when somebody commits a crime, 
um, PJ, just to explain. Yeah. And they're given a suspended sentence. Um, they, if they reoffend within the period again, um, then that sentence is reactivated. Yeah. Almost automatically. So, uh, so he reactivated the 18-month sentence and he sentenced him to a further 18 months with nine months suspended. So and and on, that, on that procedure, does it start at the start or is it, is it no, the full it 18 months? The t- it, it, starts fr- it started from yesterday when he was taken into custody. Gotcha. Okay. And uh, so he will be serving 27 months or whatever length of time, you know, given good behaviour and everything else. But but um, but in during the course of the of the um, evidence yesterday, PJ, um, they they can he's been examined by doctors and he has been um, attending a psychiatric unit, um, I think, in Bantry Hospital, and he has been only described as hyperactive. It doesn't say in what particular areas, but I suppose we can guess. And um, that so he is on medication. So yesterday, um, firstly, when he was when he was arraigned at the court and he pleaded guilty to the charge, as soon as he pleaded guilty, he then immediately said, I didn't do anything wrong. Um, and again, when the guards interviewed him about the second incident, uh, he said, I didn't do anything wrong. Um, sure, it's nature, isn't it? Yeah. So so. Um, he is on. He is obviously on medication because after the sentencing, he he stood up in court with a pillbox in his hand, shaking it, and repeating over and over and over, "I'm taking my tablets. I'm taking my tablets. I'm taking my tablets. I didn't do anything wrong." And then he said he wanted to go home because he had cattle uh, who were waiting for him, and that they would die without him being there to feed them. Um, <clears throat> all of which obviously fell on deaf ears with, yeah. where the judge was concerned and so he was hauled off to prison Okay, okay. <laughs> I will serve as you say will serve whatever he, whatever he needs but to it serve is, it, is ter- it is terrifying uh, yeah. the, young, the young girl um, bravely got into the box and gave her own um, victim impact statement uh, during which she said that that day changed her life that uh, you know she no longer feels safe um, she spoke about uh, him approaching and rubbing off her and that she had tried to catch the eye of other people in the bus station but nobody uh, seemed to realise that there was anything wrong yeah. um, and she was terrified and now she's still terrified and she's terrified of being out alone um, you know her life has changed dramatically since this happened yeah. but she has good support from her family obviously Yeah, it's, it's, it's horrific there's another story you're writing about today and uh, on the in the sun we talked you and I after the exhumation of baby John in Kerry a couple of weeks ago and and you predicted that it was probably going to go nowhere and you were I think questioning why they even did it now you're writing today that the FBI has been sent a sample of this DNA so so could it go anywhere um, well, PJ, to be honest with you, again, um, I don't think uh, I said at the time that I thought they were clutching at straws. And I think that this is a last uh, a last ditch effort in terms of clutching at straws. Um, but, you know, when you think of it, um, people people left the country. They did immigrate to America. Um, maybe um, in this case, the, the mother or the father or both as a couple decided to flee the country and that America was their target. Um, I don't know if they have credible evidence to prove or to say that that this couple have gone to America. 
Um, but certainly, um, you know, they they do feel that the DNA mm. database, which is which is probably the most um, the largest, mm. uh, the most extensive in the world, uh, may re- may produce results. And maybe they think as well, and I'm only speculating, that if somebody kills a baby in the manner, in the horrendous manner that baby John was killed with 28 stab wounds uh, to his tiny body, uh, then maybe they do think that these people or one person may very well uh, re-offend and that that their, their DNA could be in that database. As someone who's covered this extensively over the years, do you think there's any possibility at all and that someone went into a garden station in Killarney and said come here tis America you should be looking in um, No I don't think so I, I actually think that the, the, the whole area has shut down as regards um, the uh, baby John in, in Kerry I think that this time in Kerry there was an awful lot of disquiet over the fact that they uh, actually exhumed the baby mm-hmm. um, I think that people felt that after 37 years and an unsolved mystery that they should just leave things well enough alone and let him rest in peace yeah. um, I think that that attitude was particularly prevalent among the women the female um, population of of Kerry and and indeed the country because I think given because given what was done to Joanne Hayes at the time can you blame yes them? yes and I think to resurrect it again uh, in terms of of uh, Joanne Hayes and what happened and she'd been accused of being the mother of, of of twins by two different fathers which was absolutely unbelievable that they would even come up with a theory like that um, but I I think I think that this is the last gasp okay. Okay. chance and yeah. I think that uh, you know that it may very well yield but on the other hand uh, you know Great Britain, England is or the continent continent of Europe is is a lot closer than America so um, you know um, well, we, we shall see as always yeah, we will see as always what comes of it if anything and thank you Anne Mooney of the Irish Sun I just wanted to talk to her about baby John but on the case of Andrew O'Donovan of Butler's Gift, League County Cork. Suspended sentence for what he did in the hospital. And then six months after he got that suspended sentence, he tried something similar at a bus stop. Now he's gone to jail for the full 18 months, plus another nine. He'd probably serve the 18. He'd probably get nine off for good behaviour, etc., etc., and all that whole palaver. There's two questions there. One, why was it a suspended sentence in the first place? But I guess that's at the discretion of the judge. The second one is, and Neil Michael of The Examiner uh, did some super work with us and was on with us several times last year after the case as to how it was allowed to happen in the first place. That this guy was inside in a ward, three men, this guy in particular, and a, and a young woman. How that was allowed to happen, Neil Michael was doing extensive investigations into that last year. I'm not too sure if he ever got satisfactory answers or a guarantee it wouldn't happen again. We might catch up with Neil in the next couple of days to see. 1857 Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Manchester City are the champions. Number one, that's top of the league.
the best football league in the world is right here. Firmino with the flick. Salah! Fernandez is going to go for goal. Oh, what a goal. The Premier League Live, powered by Top Sport. Join me, Trevor Welch, exclusively online at 96fm.ie. Tune in Saturdays as we ramp up the excitement for the day's biggest games. We'll bring you pre-match analysis, live commentary and in-depth interviews with some legends of the sport. The Premier League Live. With now, your sport on your terms. Stream only the games that matter to you most. With now. Listen every Saturday exclusively online at 96fm.ie or download the Cork's 96fm app. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96fm. Coming up, I'll be looking at this idea, which is in the papers this morning, that frontline workers would get a 500 euro tax-free voucher as a thank you for their work during the pandemic. And straight away, it's led to the argument, well, who do you consider a frontline worker? The teachers are getting in on the act now. And the guards. That's coming. 1850-715-996. I'd like to know what you think about who should get that voucher. But we've been following all summer the story of Owen Akura. We were down there two weeks ago. I spoke to relatives and I spoke to uh, residents down there about their concerns. As we speak, there seems to have been some easing up on the October 31st Deadline, a kind of an unspoken deferral, as it were, in that the HSE issued a new statement last week where they said that they would work with everybody on an individual basis and it may be many months before they have a proper plan in place for everybody. That is the closest we heard in a statement from the HSE, the closest we heard to a kind of a soft deferral. Because one thing they'd hate to do is formally and officially deferral. To to do that would be to lose face, and they're not going to do that. But let's find out a bit more. Now, Liam Quaid, Councillor Liam Quaid of the Green Party, was one of the first people to bring this to the attention of the opinion line uh, earlier in the summer. Uh, And uh, we've been following it with him and with others ever since. And you know, Liam, asking for this matter to be brought before the Public Accounts Committee. Why is that? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Um, so we had an Eructus meeting last week about the proposed closure of the Onakura Centre. And just for listeners who may not uh, know, th- this is the only long-stay and respite mental health facility in East Cork. Mm-hmm. Um, that, me- that meeting for us raised more questions than answers about both the rationale for closure and the suitability of alternative placements. So one thing that was highlighted at the meeting by my colleague Nasa Horrigan was that detailed costings and drawings for a refurbishment of the centre had actually been completed in 2020, but these were omitted from building reports sent to um, myself and Nasa. We, we had some difficulty obtaining those reports in the first instance, and we still haven't seen the costings or the design drawings. Now, there was a later report in 2021 by the HSE's own maintenance department, and they concluded that the refurbishment works were basically impossible to carry out. Yes. But their, their conclusion doesn't appear to have involved any new survey of the building as such. It seems to have been based off uh, earlier reports. Um, it was also revealed at the recent Oireachtas meeting that um, they were not ruling out either St. Stephen's Hospital Glenmire or St. Finbar's Hospital as alternative placements. Now, we all agree that there are issues with the premises in Ornacora that require very significant investment, but we need clear comparative information on those other facilities um, because we know that some of them have scored lower on inspection visits than Ornacora. So NASA Horrigan requested building reports from local HSC management on August 31st for St. Stephen's, 
she's yet to receive those and they committed at the meeting last week to send them. Her office followed up since. There's still no sign of them. I, I, I feel it's ethically very concerning that residents are being informed that they're being transferred to other facilities because they deserve better and they deserve a higher quality environment when in many ways these ward-based settings may result actually in a significant reduction in their quality of life. Um, for example, we, he- we heard HC manager Michael Fitzgerald talk about privacy and dignity needs yeah. not being met in the, Ona- the Onacora Centre, yet it appears some residents will be going from a single room in, in the Onacora Centre to more than likely dormitory-style accommodation in some of these wards. Yes. Um, so I, I think that's, that's something that gives us great cause for concern. Um, there's also you know, five residents being considered for nursing homes and management couldn't give assurances around whether they would be in single rooms or yes. shared rooms. Yeah. So I suppose because of these unanswered questions, I felt we needed a more detailed scrutiny of, of all of this. And um, so the Public Accounts Committee is, is a cross-party group of TDs who examine how public money is being spent. Yes. NASA Horrigan has recently been appointed to it, along with Cork East TDs, Sean Sherlock and James O'Connor. So we're requesting um, all of those reports across those different um, facilities yes. to see how do they compare to the Onacora Centre and also maintenance reports yes. and those costings and designs, uh, design drawings for refurbishment. We heard Paul Reid uh, last week telling Sean Sherlock that, that it wasn't uh, it, it wasn't an issue or it wasn't uh, up for discussion effectively uh, refurbishment that mm. it was off the table but you want to see is it, why that is and take it a little bit further would I be right in my analysis Liam we seem to be a, on a kind of a soft deferral agenda here well yeah no I know that that has been greeted as, as kind of good news by a lot of people but that deferral has actually just I suppose, um, left families languishing in, in another See. kind of prolonged uncer- uncertainty. Um, because realistically, you know, the deferral is about the fact that they don't have placements for all of the residents. That, w- that was clear at the meeting. Um, so it's not, it's not that they're changing course with, with their plan. Um, and and that just means that, that just means that people are left not knowing, you know, where they're going. Prolonged. Like it's one thing to know that, yeah. Prolonging the agony, I guess, as it were. Yeah, and and one of the most concerning aspects of the Oireachtas meeting for me was that there appears to be no service plan for people in general with long-term or respite placement needs in East Cork into the future. So I I think up until now, we've been rightly focused on the plight of the Onakura residents, but we're also looking at a service being dismantled and not replaced for a much broader group of people with very significant needs. Um, When asked asked about this, management pointed to community supports for people who are able to live independently. That's a completely different client group. Yes, it is. All right. Okay, Liam, thanks for that. We'll keep in touch with you and indeed with what's happening with regards to the Public Accounts Committee. But you mentioned the residents and you mentioned the relatives. Mary was one of the people I spoke to on that night a couple of weeks ago. Mary, good morning. Uh, good morning, Peter. Good, good to talk yeah. to you again. As I said, it sounds as if there's a kind of a soft deferral going on. What I mean by that is we, we now know the doors will not close on the 31st of October. But is that any relief or is, is it just adding to the misery? Well, um, from our point of view, um, we when we heard it initially from the TDs, we thought, yeah, OK, there's some kind of maybe pause going to happen. But... Um, we've actually heard nothing, PJ. The last correspondence um, my relative had and I've had is last June. So we've actually had no um, communication 
one way or the other from the HSE mm-hmm. to say this is happening. So we're taking, um, I suppose we're he- hearing it, you know, through TDs and mm-hmm. through yourselves mm-hmm. that, um, you know, this this may be happening. But in, in actual fact, we have had no confirmation at all that this is going to be the case. And what it's done, um, certainly for for, the, for for our family and the, the other relatives that I've been speaking to, is I think it, it's it's put us on this kind of suspended kind of feeling of is there going to be any um, conclusion to this in any in any um, um, period of time that's soon. You know, it, it just seems to be going on and on. We're, we're getting more anxious. Um, if anything, I would say because we we we're still going to have these consultations apparently about accommodation that we know is. Is is just not there. Yes. Um. I was told. Um. You, you know that for my relatives that maybe maybe St Stephen's Hospital might be an option. And with all respect to 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 that unit, that is in no way comparable to mm-hmm. Onakura in any shape or form. Whether it's buildings, mm-hmm. whether it's the location, whether it's the um the service itself. Well, so l- l- let's call a spade a spade mm-hmm. here, Mary. In in comparison to Onakura and, and I having taken a walk down there and in particular listening, I don't have the audio to hand now, but listening to the man Vincent who's been living yeah. there for a number of yeah. years, he went through a list of what is at his, in, within walking distance for him. Yeah. For him alone, yeah. what is in walking distance. Now, like you said, with all respect to St. Stephen's Hospital and everybody down there, compared to the present situation St. Stephen's Hospital is in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, yeah, it's out. It's it's out um, on on the edges of Glanmire. Like, where's even the nearest supermarket? I I presume it's it's actually in. Um, Glanmire? Oh, Glanmire itself, the yeah. One, the and, the, and the nearest no, I can think of, knowing the geography of the area yeah, relatively well, yeah. the nearest I can think of is Grandin's Garage. Yeah. Yeah, and and remember, PJ, these people are people who find uh, they don't drive. Um, walking itself is a challenge for a lot of people because people are on medication, they're older, um, they're frailer, and they're um, you know they've other health issues. So the idea of kind of plonking people who have. Um, uh, you know such needs in into um, uh, and by the way I, I I was up there at one stage for another matter because there's another service up there. It's if when you go in the main gates, it, I don't know is it a couple of miles up to you, you know the various centres around. It's a huge sprawling. It's a decent stroll at least, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Plus it's a dark country road. Yeah, that's right, and it, it just seems inhumane to me that that will be offered as as an alternative mm. um, accommodation, and and that that is being sent said, said to us as being superior, or that it's going to be better for our relatives, and that's not the truth. Yeah, you know. All right, Mary. The the the, the worry with the worry continues regardless of, of what we're hearing, and so much. Between what the relatives are telling us, what the residents told us, I, I think I remember the man representing HSE at last week's Eroctus committee meeting talking about extensive communication. And there, Mary's saying, what? We heard nothing since June. And the idea that you would take people, as I said, having been down there and walked around and seen it and listened to Vince and looking to Vince's list of what's within walking distance to take someone like that out of where they are right now and put them up to St. Stephen's Hospital, a fine establishment in its own right, 
it's it's putting them in the middle of nowhere by comparison. 1857 15996. Can we just talk? The opinion line on Corks 96 FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie the Cork Diary. Courts 96 FM. The Douglas Credit Union Current Account 5K Race will take place on Sunday, the 3rd of October, at Tremor Valley Park at 11 a.m. The race will be chipped and timed, and you can register online at popupraces.ie. Proceeds from the event are in aid of Cork Cancer Care and RNLI Crosshaven. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email Cork Diary at 96FM.ie. So we're two weeks out from the budget now, and this. This will be announced, we think, before the budget. And that is a tax-free voucher. This is the latest idea that Pascal Donoghue and Michael McGrath are talking about in planning for the budget for 2022 and in planning on doing something for those who were on the front line during the pandemic, during the worst days of the pandemic. A tax-free voucher for up to €500, Euro, along with an extra bank holiday, is now on the table, according to... The Irish Independent, the Irish Times, is also uh, writing about this today, suggesting that teachers should get it, as in the Association of Secondary Teachers of Ireland, the Irish National Teachers Organisation, and the Teachers Union of Ireland. All the unions now, teachers unions, come together in a joint statement demanding the €500 voucher. And the list is growing I went this morning to put together another list of who might have a claim on this 500 quid. But Jennifer, you're both a teacher and a parent. And when you see headlines like the teachers are now looking for their slice of this, how does that make you feel? Good morning. Morning, PJ. It makes me feel really annoyed, actually, that I'm I'm looking at this headline that teachers demand. I'm a teacher. I'm not demanding anything. I don't want anything. I have no interest in a bonus payment. Um... And I actually have far more interest in proper investment in the education system. Um, you know, it, this does nothing for our relationship with the general public. The, the the unions have come out without any sort of official consultation. So they haven't actually had an official mm. meeting or discussion. So this is not representing me. I don't think it's representing, well, it's not representing any teacher I know are either in person or online. You know, I think teachers are really annoyed to, to read this headline. And then we're having to read abuse on Twitter about how lazy we are and how money grabbing we are. And ultimately, the victim in all of this, if teachers and parents end up arguing, the victim is always the child. Yeah. This, I'm um, just to quote directly from the Irish Times article this morning, it says that the ASTI, the INTO and the TUI came together in a joint statement to demand the extra money. Did you know that statement was being made? Did you, any of your colleagues know that statement was being made? Absolutely not. And the response from teachers, you know, online is, is clear. This is not something we want. I mean, if you, if you were to actually step inside an Irish staff room, most teachers are talking about the fact that we have the lowest level of funding in education in the OECD. We're talking about the fact that our classrooms are, are packed. Lots of us, like I work in a school that doesn't have a school building. We have no sports facilities. We have nowhere for our children to go on rainy days. You know, they're the things that we're actually dealing with on a daily basis. You know, these these bonuses, they're, they're just so irrelevant. And what we need, we need long-term investments. 
we're in deep debt following COVID. We need to stick together. We need to think about the fact that everything is stacked against young people now. You know, they can't afford homes. They're 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 battling a, a an education system, a leaving cert that I don't agree with. And I think a lot of teachers don't agree with, mm. you know, the mental health. Children with additional needs are being left without adequate resources. Um, I don't know. Did you come across the school yesterday in Dublin uh, that the HSE have removed specialists and therapists out of the school? Um you know, like there, there, there's money cutting everywhere in the system. And then we're talking about who's going to get what in this, you know, bonus. I, it just, it's do, political. Do, it's not meaningful. Do you think that frontline workers in the healthcare service, like nurses, doctors, everybody in a hospital or a nurse home, for example, should they have a claim on this? Well, look, if, if anyone does, if we are going to go down that road, for me, yes. You know, they're, they're, I think people in, in health in health work yeah that, that that would be but you know i just wonder if we were to speak to them um in a meaningful way would would they rather deeper investment that would actually affect their lived experience on a daily basis mm-hmm. um like jennifer in the school in which you teach and you don't need to tell me where it is but in the school in which you teach if if norma foley or michael mcgrath or Pascal Donahue were saying, okay, Jennifer, we'd like to thank you for the effort you put in. What would signify thanks to you? I mean, just a thank you. I mean, I see we get our thanks from our our students. We get our thanks from parents, hopefully, you know, if we have positive relationships. Teaching is, it's a profession about people. You know, it's it's a people-based, caring profession. And that's why we do it. And that's what that's we get our satisfaction from that. Um, look, uh, and I can't speak for everyone in the teaching profession, but I just I do see the reaction to that headline as being one of hurt and disappointment because it's not what we're about. OK, and, and, and it has nothing to do with you or any of your colleagues. It's a statement that was issued by the unions and you or uh, your colleagues were never asked about it. Jennifer, thank you very much. That's Jennifer Horgan. She's both a teacher and a parent. I, I asked at the top of the programme, you know, who should get this? If it's there, if they're going to give it out uh, in a couple of weeks' time, who should get it? I've done another one of my not-an-exhaustive lists. I'm half afraid to read it because I would have left somebody out. But a couple of messages. John says, I'm delighted all the hardworking frontline workers are being considered for a bonus. But I do feel the carers in households who looked after their loved ones should also be rewarded. An already difficult situation of pretty much 24-hour duty was made all the more difficult and worrying by the pandemic, especially by the lockdowns. Uh, PJ, anyone who was working over the past year was a frontline worker as we kept the country moving and sane, whether it was a HSE worker, a truck driver or a broadcaster. Thank you for that. The simplest way of checking those workers' status is through revenue. If you were working, you were paying tax and probably had a tax code, giving a good indication of what you were doing. Most of the other people were either unemployed or on the pop. It's not rocket science. And that's how you find out who should get a bonus, I think. Give the payment to the taxpayers. Stay safe, says Craig. Thanks, Craig. I, I th- another WhatsApp message. I think the government should give things based on sectors. Personally, as a healthcare worker, the bank holiday is nice, but most of us would still be working on that day anyway. Also, the 500 euro voucher is good, but what I'd appreciate more is my medical council registration fees paid for the year. It should be just any health workers that get the bonus, simple as that. This is on WhatsApp. All others will have a time off during the pandemic. 
whilst health workers worked straight through and endured the mental strain of watching people die in front of them. 1850-715-996. I did it again. I did a little list this morning of who might be claiming. And I guess as Pascal Donoghue and Michael McGrath sit down to figure this all out, they've probably got a list in front of them as well of who will claim. Now, there's the newspapers telling us this morning that the teachers' unions have put in a claim by way of a statement. There's Jennifer, who's a working teacher, saying, actually, no, that's got nothing to do with me. I don't need any bonus. That's Jennifer's point of view. Let's say everybody in the health sector were to get it. Everybody in the health sector. So, across the board. But then you've got guards, and I I see where the guard associations, the GRA and the AGSI and the other one, yeah, GRA and AGSI, they're saying, well, actually, we worked on the front line full-time as well in very risky situations. So guards could have a claim, firefighters, teachers, as we've heard, shop workers, people on the supply chain who drove trucks and vans, couriers, the postal service, everybody working in the food sector who kept us fed, farmers who supplied the food sector, cleaners, carers, as John said, security workers, takeaway staff, delivery drivers, maintenance workers who came in and fixed stuff to keep the rest of us working, everybody in the utility, people who went about their business to provide us with gas, electricity, water, IT engineers, pharmacies, how important were pharmacies and social workers who had to keep going on the front line. There's probably more that I'm leaving out. Now, if everybody on that list had a genuine claim for a 500 euro bonus, nice for them, but who's going to pay for it? So who should get it? That list I've given you, should everybody on on that list and probably more get it? Or should it be limited purely to people who stayed on the health front line, the hospitals, the medical centres? Teachers says, or this caller says, teachers shouldn't be comparing themselves to health workers. They didn't put in the same hours at all. See, it's divisive on Oanakura House. I know there's talk of putting the patients in Oanakura into St. Stephen's. I don't understand, though, why the HSE doesn't refurbish Oanakura and in the meantime put the patients into HSE Millfield House in Blackpool, which is just up there beyond Aldi. I know where it is. I think that's what it's called anyway. The building's vacant such a long time. Why can't they put the people in there? Well, certainly putting them into Stephen's Hospital, with all due respect to St. Stephen's and everybody who sails in her, as the saying goes, it's in the middle of nowhere compared to Onakura. It's in the middle of nowhere. And all the things like shops and coffee shops and doctors and dentists and anybody that they need is within literally walking distance in Middleton to take them out of that and pop them up into St. Stephen's Hospital where the nearest shop is probably about 15 minutes walk minimum down a country road. Not good enough. And a lot of people are suggesting now that Stephen's Hospital, good good and all it is, great, great hospital and all it is, not the right place for these people at all. Uh, 1850-715-996. We got this uh, rather long comment, but we'll read it for you anyway. I don't want to say where I work or what I do, but my job requires me to enter people's homes and carry out tests on their property. This one day I entered Anne's home. I was greeted with a massive smile and welcomed in the door. I was offered tea or coffee some cookies or cake, which I had to decline. 
As I was working away, Anne was close by during the process, and was chatting away and telling me about her kids and her life. Now, before I continue, I should say Anne is 83 and had a mighty wit about her. She'd been laughing so hard, she nearly brought me to tears. As I was packing up and getting ready to go for my next call, she looked at me and said, I wish you had time to sit down and have a cup of tea and a chat. My heart broke when she asked me this. I checked the time and realised, ah, I had a few minutes to spare. And I told Anne to put on the kettle again. And yeah, we'll have a chat. We were chatting about everything from the GA to where we were from. I even got the lowdown on the neighbours. It was then I realised how lonely Anne was and that I could quite happily sit and listen to her telling me stories all day long. In fact, I felt I could do this for a living, just helping and listening and trying to make her life easier and maybe just being a friend. Now, I mentioned I had a few minutes. Before I knew it, we'd been chatting away for 45 minutes. We only stopped because Anne's carer came back in the back door during her visit. I told her who I was and my reason for being there. We then got chatting and she was telling me about the shortage of carers in Ireland and how our older community is suffering because of it. And it really broke my heart to hear this. And knowing that people like Anne are suffering and are alone most of the time with just the radio or the telly for company. You're probably wondering why I'm telling you this. Well, the hope is to bring attention to the situation and to highlight the great job that carers do. And also, and more importantly, how because of the shortage of carers, our older generation is suffering. If you read this, I thank you, as I'm sure Anne would too. That's a lovely message and a sad one too. Thank you for it. And Anne is not the lady's real name. Thanks. 1850-715-996. There was an interesting tweet uh, by a politician called Kazim Hanif, who I know nothing about, but a politician in Scotland who said, the colour of your skin doesn't determine if you're Scottish. I was born in Scotland and raised in Scotland. I'm Scottish. Anyone who chooses to call Scotland home is Scottish. And that was retweeted by the Scottish First Minister, Nicola Sturgeon, and it led to another tweet by, and if, if you don't mind refer, referring to, I think probably one of Cork's favourite Scotsmen, uh, Dr. Amalil de Sunday. Amon, good morning to you. Good morning, how are you? Good. It got you thinking, Amon, I think about a, a broad church of Irishness, it's just like this person. I don't know who they are, if you, if you do and you can enlighten us, great. It doesn't matter whether you're... Well, how you came to be in Scotland. I was born and raised, I'm Scottish. Anyone who chooses to call Scotland home is Scottish. You want to turn that into an Irish debate? I think it, I think it does. I think we, 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 the people, the, the folk who have come to Ireland and made Ireland their home um, are asking these questions all the time. And I'm not, I'm not going to speak for others, but for me, I've been here since 2015. And... Um, to be very honest with you, I've never, I've never felt that I've never felt completely part of this Irish uh, Irishness or being in Ireland. I've always felt that I'm a bit of the other, and yeah. I, and you know, I mean, even though I grew up in Glasgow, I was born and raised in Glasgow, so I know it's a completely different kind of uh, narrative that I have. But I, you know, I grew up PG with kind of stuff like you know, uh, we're all Jock Thompson's bairns or. 
you know, <laughs> uh, politicians saying stuff like it's not where you come from, it's where we're all going. Um, <laughs> and, and, I, and, you know, somebody pointed out to me the other day, oh, in Ireland, we've got, um, you know, t- uh, phrases such as we're, we're a land um, of, of is it a thousand welcomes. Uh, is, I'm going to say it completely wrong. Is it cumula falcia? Yes, you know, from the very land good, actually. That's very good. Thank you. But, but you know, what I'm thinking is, who's doing the welcoming? Am, am I allowed to do the welcoming? Am I as some uh, uh, would would I be seen as somebody who's who's from here? I mean, would it be? I mean, okay, fine, you can dismiss me, or you know, because he's still the Scotsman. But what about people who have been born and raised here? Do they get to do that? And from what the conversations I've had with them is that they're still saying that no, we're still treated as the other. We're still treated as individuals who have to be welcomed in, as opposed to us, you know, being a part of that. And that 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 for me kind of raises this question about what does it mean to be Irish? What does it mean to be Irish in today's modern 2021 Ireland? And I think that question really will will root out at some level and expose Mm. the discrimination that people face. Yeah, I did introduce you as one of Cork's favourite Scotsmen, but that's that's just I was being. <laughs> but I think you're here long enough to be to be as it were one of our own. But I think the point you're making, Amon, is yeah. you shouldn't have to qualify. No, you shouldn't. But the thing is that people do, and people have to continue, especially people who look visibly different. I can't even believe I'm actually saying that because it, it, to an extent we've we've associated, you know, people who look a particular way that they're from there. Like, I, 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 you know, I speak, I, you know, it's like Europe has to be, is, it, is Europe white? Can Europe, can Europe have people who, who aren't white? And I know these kind of conversations make people really uncomfortable. But you know what? People who aren't white, people who look visibly different, they live in that discomfort every single day. And I just think that, and I know, I, I'm absolutely convinced that the majority of people would say, no, you're absolutely Irish. But there is a small minority yeah. that keeps chipping away to try to strengthen this narrative that, no, you're not, yeah. you'll never be Irish. And by saying that continually, it does something psychologically to people. And if you do that to somebody constantly, they won't feel a part of society and they'll distance themselves and it will create all sorts of problems about, you know, separation of of who's in and who's yeah. out. And I just think that, come on, I think we need it. We need we need a we need to have this bigger, brighter, more diverse, pluralistic well, tent that do, I think is part of Ireland. Do you know what we'll do, Amon? Because you've started a conversation. We will come back to this. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. This idea of a €500 Euro bonus that would be tax-free because under the law, your employer can give you a bonus that is completely tax-free once you get it in the form of a voucher and it's no more than €500. Euro. The idea is that in the budget, or before the budget even, a number of workers on the front line will get such a bonus. The big decision is who do you give it to? Where do you stop? 
who's entitled to it and who isn't. There's also going to be a, a public holiday. That's the or a bank holiday. That's the the, the latest we are hearing. Uh, but it's a, a, it's a, a, it inflames the comment lines. I tell you, and I come back to them. Loads and loads and loads of comments. Some of them not so nice about who should and who shouldn't be getting a bonus. Come back to those. There's loads of them. Loads of them. Also, that's an interesting conversation that Amon DeSundi has started. And we will come back to him because it is a question in 2021. You know, what makes you an Irish person? Or even more locally, what makes you a Cork person? If you're born here, do you have to be born here? Or do you just call this home? Have you been living here long enough that it's just, this is your home? Does it matter where you come from? Doesn't matter what you look like. Doesn't matter what your colour of your skin is. If you consider yourself Irish, are you Irish? If you consider yourself of Cork, are you of Cork? We'll come back to that. Amon has an idea that within UCC they could set up a thing kind of called a minorities caucus to drive that idea forward. So it's something we'll come back to and certainly a very interesting concept. 1850-715-996. I read in the newspapers in the last couple of days. And I'm not entirely sure which one it was. Do you know the way you'd be scrolling? It could well have been a Sunday morning when you just open up your social media and you're scrolling through this report and that report and to the report. And I read a report about a young person who got maximum points in their leaving cert. They got every point that was available to them in their leaving cert. Maximum points. And yet they missed out on their chosen CAO course and you ask yourself how the hell did that happen? How on earth did someone get maximum points and not get their first choice on the CAO? Because there are obviously more more people with the maximum points than there were places for them which alone is a sign of a broken system. The point system has changed many times over the years. When I was in college maximum points was 32 and it changed over the year. Maximum now is about what? About 630, 600. I don't know, actually. But well, how is it that someone can get maximum points and not get the first thing on their CAO? And it's a topic that Emeritus Professor from UCC, Professor of Mathematics from UCC, Des McHale, has been thinking about and wondering, is there a way that we could change our system. And Des joins me now. Des, you can remember the time when it was 32, was the max, and it went from there to 600 and something. We clearly have a problem. We need to fix it. Good morning. Good morning, and a very good morning to all your listeners. Thanks for being with us. What are your thoughts? Um, I, basically, I feel that, the, you know, I don't think the point system is as bad as people think. At least it's a, it's a fair sort of system. It's anonymous. You, you can't really influence it. But it is a crude system in that people uh, with the same grades kind of got really different marks in the actual papers that they, that they set. Right. And my, my, my thought is that in the case of a tie, and of course what you get in the case of a tie, that's really very sad. I mean, your heart goes out to somebody, as you say, who gets maximum points or who gets the adequate points for the course that they want and still doesn't get a place on the course. In that case, I think they should look at the actual marks that they got, which are available, and then that would be able to distinguish between people uh, four places. Because... 
it's very unlikely that people who get the same points are actually going to get the same marks. It's a much finer system. Mm. I think the, we should try something like that. The grade scales, the scales are smaller now than they used to be, aren't they? I mean, they used to be yeah. like between, say, an A was, was it 85 plus in the old way of doing it, and a B was 70 yeah, plus. Yeah, but there's still 5, 10% in, in some grades, and, you know, that would add up over the six subjects that they actually choose. And, I mean, I actually uh, remember when there were no points at all. I mean, I, I, I'm older now to remember that, uh, you know, you just get your A or... You get a C grade or something like that, and that, that, that's all it was. And yeah. uh, there were lots of places at university then, but, I mean, it's the intense competition for places that is actually causing this. Mm. And I, I think that there are several other variations we could try as well. For example, I think that uh, there's subject relevance. You know, if you have done got your points from biology and physics, then maybe that should count more as far as medicine is concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, we also already do this for engineering. You have to have mathematics. You have to have, in most cases, a C grade for mathematics before you can enter engineering. So under the UK system, the university actually says you must have grades and points in the following subjects. Yes. I think that will help a lot. And uh, I think it will be make the, the, the subjects that they do relevant. Now, I mean, a lot of people say to me, well, you know, you're outside the system, you're at university, either. but I had five kids, and they all went through the system, and they all went to UCC, and they did very well, and they worked hard. So I know all about the tensions that the point system causes, not just among the students, but among their parents and relatives as well. It's a, it's mm. a very tough time. The idea of relevant subjects, Des, and I, I, I do remember a great friend of mine who, who did medicine, and he'd done all the appropriate subjects to prepare for medicine, all the sciences and all of that. And I missed out on medicine in my time. And he said to me that sitting next to him was a guy who'd got all his points, but he'd studied history, geography, and business. Yeah, yeah. Like, what the hell is he doing in medicine? Yeah. Well, education is education, and maybe sometimes the content isn't important, but there are cases, I think, where this, the content of the subject is important. Um, you know, under the UK system, you also have an interview. Yeah. You know, a, a lot of students, I won't say they hide behind just the written papers and uh, the oral exams. And also, it struck me this morning when thinking about your program, um, we have oral examinations in Irish and French, as we rightly should have, which is wonderful, but there is no test in oral English which really is probably the single most important instrument of communication that we've got and that that we need. So, I mean, I've I've had students who couldn't put two words together in English, but they had maximum points. So maybe we should broaden the way the director does an interview, oral exams in English, um, Mm. relevance of subjects, and the more filters you bring in, the fair the system is eventually going to be. The present point system has its advantages, but it is crude because it doesn't give you a very fine evaluation of the yeah. student's merit. So you'd be introducing another, another stage, wouldn't you? So let, let us imagine that a particular course requires 550 points. Right. And that there are 100 places on that course. And you have 150 people come up with the, the appropriate points or more. Is it then you start filtering? Calling I think it is. For, right. The present system really is just is, is a lottery. It's random selection. You just put the excess names in and you pick the ones out of a hat. And that's obviously unfair. So there should be some further way of determining the merit of a student from some other sources. Um, mm. I, I, you know, when I was told I was going to come on this program, I started thinking an awful lot about the point system. And I hear an awful lot of people saying, oh, I want to do medicine because I want to help people. I wonder if there was a stipulation that when you graduate in medicine, you have to spend three years in the third world um, working for almost nothing. 
how many people who want to do medicine then? Or for various other subjects as well, like law or science or whatever. I mean, the motivation, I think, is very, very important. These things are very expensive. They're expensive to run. They're expensive to society. And I think we should be sure that the people who are gaining from them are the very best people, first of all, academically, but also the people who are motivated and are going to do the best job at the end of the day. It's too important to be left to just chance to one number, just the points system. I think that is too crude a measurement of how meritorious a person is. Mm. The last two years, of course, the system was thrown further into chaos by the pandemic and, you know, calculated grades and, and, and all that. Has that done damage for future years when I, we get I, back to regular exams? I, I don't know if it's done damage, but it's potentially done damage because, for example, the whole notion of continuous assessment, especially if it's done by a teacher from the school where the pupil comes from, I think is dangerous. I think it's very, very natural for a teacher to give a student extra credit because the student is from that school. It's in your own interest to do that because, you know, I mean, you want the school to do well, you want to see your job, all that type of thing. Um, the anonymity can be gone there, and I think it's, uh, it's very, very... I think damage has been done. It's been broadened in a way that is now very, very vague. I mean, a student can take, I think, examination only, assessment only, mm. or a combination of the two, and now it's not a level playing field anymore. You have lots of different people. There are lots of other complications as well, of course, like illness, like people who postpone their uh, applications and their points one year to another. It's a very, very complicated system. You're not going to get a completely fair system, I think, no matter how you try. But I think we should broaden it as much as possible so that merit comes out from various forms. I mean, ideally, you know, an interview would test, is the student a good sports person as well as a good academic? I mean, have they done something in drama? I mean, what sort of person are they? Are they interesting? Are they humorous? You know, it's very hard to judge those things. But the broader the personality, a student, the more accomplishments they've got, I think the better they're going to be able to benefit from university education. So we need to put more filters in than just an allocation of points to decide who gets what places. Absolutely. A single number, I think, like 630 or whatever, is not enough to, to judge the situation. All right. Good to speak with you, uh, Des, Professor Des McHale, uh, former professor of maths at, uh, at UCC. Time to rethink the point system. I like the idea that relevant subjects are an interview or the idea that, well, if everyone gets the right number of points, then you go for interview, you call for interview or your relevant subjects. Like, what are you doing inside in engineering if you've done history, geography and, and, and French? What are you doing inside in engineering? It's probably a bit more crude, but... Your thoughts, welcome. 1850 715996. Can we just talk? The opinion line on Cork's 96 FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Quartz 96 FM. In 87 days time, Santa will be doing his rounds, bringing toys to all the good boys and girls around Cork City and County and around the world. And he won't be too bothered about a frontline workers bonus, but, but, but there you go. Please, don't get it stuck in me. But here's a new idea for toys 
all year round rather than buying them and having the child either play with them, get bored with them or destroy them, why not rent the toys? Change them every couple of months and pay rental every couple of months to rent new toys. New toys maybe that are made out of sustainable materials and, and all of that. Janelle Sanders uh, is the founder of the Clever Tots Toy Club. Janelle, where did the idea come from? Good morning. Hi, good morning. So the idea came while I was pregnant with my son Orlando. And at the time we were living in Dubai and looking up everything that you need for a new baby. And of course, all those things included toys. And I came across the concept of a toy club. And we were very lucky that in Dubai there was one running. So after he was born, we were using the toy club there. Then we moved back to Ireland last September and was looking for something similar here because we actually really missed our Monday delivery of toys. Mm. And when we couldn't find anything, we decided to set it up for ourselves. How does it work? So very simple, as you said. So every month you get a new box of toys. You get four toys in each box. After a month, a carrier comes back with a new box and you give them the old box, which is sent back to us. All toys are then cleaned and sanitized and they're sent to a new family. And how much does it cost? So it starts on thirty nine ninety nine a month and then we have three, six and 12 month packages as well and there's all discounts with them. So what kind of toys are in the box? I, I'm looking at it there, you say you have eco-friendly wooden toys and you have educational toys. So how do you choose the toys? Yeah, so we chose all the brands that we have for their eco-friendly brands, their sustainable brands, they use, as you said, wooden toys, recycled plastic. So they're really good, durable, fun toys. And we got Olin Moran, who's a Nora child development expert, to help us choose the toys as well. So they will be the most suitable toys for your child for their age to help them with their development, help them hit their milestones. So help them with their fine motor skills, their learning, and most of all, they're lots of fun. So it's simply a matter of signing up. How it's, uh, what is it called? Clevertots.ie is your website. Yeah, that's it. Clevertots.ie. And we're on Facebook and Instagram as well. And the cost, is, is, it's, it's, it, it, it would, I'm looking at your cost structure, I'm not going to reveal it on the air and I'll get into detail, but it would be cheaper. And, and having, having had children and know the cost of toys, it would be a lot cheaper. <laughs> But, exactly. Yeah. But the other like thing, like the average cost. The only thing about it is, um, Janelle, that as you know, I'm sure, uh, as a mom, sometimes they just want to play with the box it came in. Oh, of course, and that has happened to us as well, where he just wants to play with the box, and but that's why we've chosen the most kind of fun toys, most engaging toys right. at for the right age for them. Okay. All right. Listen, if anybody wants to get involved or anyone wants to find out more, it's a new Irish startup, a toy club, clevertots.ie. You pay a monthly fee, you get a box of toys every month, you give it back. The following month, it's cleaned and sanitized and send it. It's a toy club. They weren't around in my time. We'll see. How, anyone be interested in that? Would you do that? Would you rent toys by the month? And I suppose if a, to- if, a, if a child particularly likes one toy, then you go out and you buy their own one for them. That's, that's probably another element to it. 1850-715-996. Getting oodles and oodles of comments on 
the bonuses. And I, 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 I could be here until three o'clock today, let alone 12 o'clock on bonuses. But Alan says, just to add to your earlier texter, Craig, who said revenue can tell who was paying tax. I believe he's right, but there are those who pay taxes and worked from home during the pandemic, like teachers, who already got tax relief on their electric, their heating, their phone, their broadband, and that totaled far more than 500 quid. Claiming this relief and also claiming to be a frontline worker, in my eyes, is fraud. The teachers in my children's primary school spent less than three hours on Zoom with each child for the duration of the homeschooling period, while myself and my wife altered our working hours to make sure our children were up to date on their lessons, which were posted online by the hard-working teachers every Sunday evening. Next, we'll be hearing the ministers will be claiming to be frontline workers because of all the Zoom meetings that they did. God bless us. This country gets more farcical every day. Now, let's reiterate one thing. Jennifer, who started this conversation on the Opinion Line this morning, is a teacher, and she said, listen, I don't want any bonus. It's the unions are saying they're demanding it, but I don't want any bonus. In fact, if you want to give us anything, give us better supplies in the schools, put in more CO2 monitors, build more schools, create more places. That's the best way to do it, rather than... So she didn't want any bonus. Geraldine is in Kinsale. Don't forget chiropodists. I don't know whether you're laughing with me or not here. Don't forget chiropodists who are keeping everyone on their toes and getting people back on their feet. Thanks, Geraldine. Paul, 40% of HSE staff, the closest they got to the front line, was walking in the front door of the hospital to turn my stomach to know they got the bonus. Don't get me going on Zoom, teachers. They know who worked during the pandemic. They should get a tax credit, says John. Paul, no one should get a bonus. People had livelihoods destroyed during the pandemic. Should they be considered? Of any group, an acknowledgement to our children is more appropriate. After all, they had been branded vectors of the virus and they were shunned by society. They also suffered isolation and other effects that as adults inflicted on them with the line that they are resilient. The children gave up so much, so invest in them. Nurses got paid to do their jobs. I've more, I promise, that I will come back to you. 1850-715-996. I said at the very top of the programme, and I tweeted last night while I was watching it, that I've been around the block a bit in this old job, uh, and the old job I had before it, and I thought I didn't shock anymore. I thought that nothing would shock me anymore. And then, last night, I watched primetime. During the post-mortem results, we weren't told anything about the organs retained. So I presumed this post-mortem and the organs that were retained were two completely different things, basically. It not being genetic for us was very important because we knew that Lewis was safe. But the following month in mid-May 2020, Leona received an unexpected call from Cork University Maternity Hospital. First of all, the conversation started a general how are you conversation and then started talking about COVID and the strange times we're in now and how the hospital are working differently. And then they gave us, they shocked me. Um, didn't expect that, like... <laughs> to say to that um, the organs that they retained belonging to Lee um, have been incinerated and we won't be able to get them organs back. Um, 
at the time of the phone call, I could. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Feel her nerves, her voice was shaking. Leona joins me on the opinion line. Leona, can you hold on till I take an ad break and we'll chat then? Yeah, no problem. Thanks very much. 1850-715-996. Welcome back. Speaking with Leona Birmingham. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Secret Song is a one-day festival of live music performances held in Levis's Corner House in Ballydehob. It's coming up next weekend and the lineup remains top secret until you walk through the doors. Access all areas. Following the sellout success of last year's adaptation of The Snow Queen, Broken Crow returns with an original spin-off audio series for children, The Little Robber Girl. It'll be broadcast from the Everyman Theatre from Monday the 18th of October to Friday the 22nd. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show, play, exhibition or gig coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us at aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on Side. On Cork's 96FM. Leona Birmingham, now that it's all out in the open, how are you doing? How are you feeling this morning? Um, we are just so overwhelmed by this support we're after receiving, really. Um, it's just, it's still a bit surreal at the moment for us that so many people are behind us and are just as angry as we are. It's it's been amazing the support. Yeah, were you nervous in the days leading up to no. it? Oh, I was. I I was so nervous. I said to my family and friends, like, "Oh, I'm going to go into hiding after this," and I didn't expect it to blow up this big at all. Like, if you told me a few weeks ago I'd be on the news and stuff, I probably would have ran the opposite way. But I'm so glad now that we we did do it and and we gave Lee his little voice to speak out and. I just hope he's proud of us. Oh, I'm sure he is. And is that why, is that what the motivation was to talk to Aoife and to talk to the RT Investigates team? Yeah, that, that's it. I felt like the hospital uh, didn't give us the answers 
we needed or we deserved. Um, we've just been through it all. I mean, it's 18 months since we got the fo- first phone call about incinerating his brain. Um, and we're still kind of, it took us another six months to find out that's in another country. I mean, they're really dragging it out. And I feel like for us to get closure and move on, we need all these answers. Yeah. Only then will we be able to start to rebuild yeah. our lives and try try get on with it. Yeah. You're quite young, uh, Iona, yourself and, and Glenn. Were you shocked to discover that it had happened to people 20 years ago or, or did you know that? No, I, I didn't. I didn't know that until um, I suppose um, my parents would have spoke um, about it. And Google is a great thing. I was able to Google um about it and even just reading their stories from 20 years ago I mean it was heartbreaking and to know they got them phone calls after years of thinking that their babies were buried um, and I think that's something um, I know it's a very emotional time for all them families listening to it again 20 years later like it's a disgrace mm. Yeah one of those families called me yesterday one of those mums called me and said that she was so proud to hear that you had spoken out, but that it was bringing back all the memories to yeah. her. And, and her first thought was not again. Yeah, that, it's it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking to know that they have to relive this with us. Yeah. Um, that imagine the memories that it's bringing back for them twenty years later. Like it, it must be so hard. And I just really, really feel for them. Now, I think you now want to know. And I was making some notes before I spoke with you this morning and, and I, my, the thoughts that came into my mind was someone signed their name to this, Leona. There's a, somewhere, somewhere there is a letter, there's an email, mm-hmm. there's an invoice for a service, there's the minutes of a meeting with a name mm-hmm. written down. And you want to know who is it? Who signed off yeah. on this? And do you know what? I can understand it. there's human error being made, and I can, but I just feel like for someone to be working with little babies' body parts and bodies, and to be so emotionally cut off from from the family. I know, and with every job, I suppose, and how long you're doing it, but I just don't like these people are highly educated people. Like, I why couldn't they pick up the phone and ring? Um, like and just for the excuse that it was COVID, then there was on certain times they needed to make room in the morgue. Um, like eating little babies' organs isn't going to make room for even probably one adult body. Um, so I just think they didn't act on. They didn't think about us when they signed all this off and decided to incinerate our babies' organs abroad. Mm. It's it's just unthinkable, really. Supposing someone had called you, Leona, and said, look, we have a bit of a problem here. Would that have been, as in, we've nowhere... Would that have That would have been... Yeah, of course it would. I mean, we would have been out... We could have took Lee's brain and... Like, there was many things we could have have done Mm. with it. We could have buried it with him. We could have... Like, it's all our... All, all that really, like a little, to have a little piece of Leah home with us, we would have absolutely loved it instead of it ending up with medical waste in another country. It's just, it's heartbreaking for us to even accept that. Yeah, but 
the, 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 the clip that stood out for me was, was when you said waste is something you put in a bin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Not my son's brain. Like, it's, uh, like that's, that's the main organ, I suppose, in his body. Like, why why, why you just dump it? Like, it's rubbish. It's, it's not on. You got a letter, I think, mm-hmm. from the hospital, and, and that added insult to injury. Yeah, so that's it. The phone call was a blur, and I mean, I was on the phone, so I was speaking. Um, so I actually had to tell Glenn what happened. And while I was on the phone, I knew I wasn't taking it all in, so I did ask. I said, "Could you send me a letter detailing and just what you're kind of telling me now, basically, and um, for the sake of Glenn, but for also for Lewis for years to come." Um, and they agreed. So the weeks, I mean, the days after I presumed it would come out on the news and me and Glenn we were in level five lockdown we were both at home first time parents grieving as well um so it was a hard time for us anyway um and then I remember getting that letter and they didn't once mention Lee's name in it they didn't they didn't once apologize for what they'd done they just apologized for how we felt and I thought how dare you apologize for the way we feel when they don't know how we feel um, but not apologise for what actually happened. It just brought me so much anger. Yeah, yeah. Apologising for, for how you feel, sure, how the hell could they know? Yeah, that, that's, that's exactly it. And I think that letter alone, I thought, like, oh, no, I need to, I need to do something about this. I really need to do something. Mm. Has there been any... Comeback, or do you expect any comeback from HSE after you spoke to the documentary team? Um, so yeah, so that was like I have been in contact with the hospital. Um, I mean, it wasn't until November we found out where what organ it was and where it was, and it's just back and forth emailing and um, like there was many emails went unanswered, or I just didn't get a reply to, and um, but. I suppose last week when RT contacted and we did, we got like a six-page letter from the HSE. Um, I felt the letter was trying to justify why they'd done it and they're saying that they offered us support and where I think they didn't offer us enough support. Glenn, to this day, still didn't receive any bit of counselling from from him. The week after we met with him in November, the bereavement department contacted me to tell me they got my referral, but I'm actually too far bereaved um, that they only deal with parents that had a loss within the last 12 months and I was outside that timeline, so they couldn't give us counselling. Um, I just felt like they could have handled this so much better. They could have, to get that, even just to find out over a phone call, but to wait in November to find out what organ it was, where it was. like we just need answers we need to be able to accept what happened in closure and for us to be able to just live a normal life like other than trying to find out who approved it who signed off to it Mm -hmm. what what are the other questions in your mind Leona? um, I suppose like why 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 Antwerp like why Belgium why like why out of the country um and I suppose well, I have a lot of questions as well, probably for the specialist company that came and took took the organs. Um, like, why was my son's organ? They were done with that in December, early December. Why was it still in the morgue in March? 
That's a very, um, that's a very salient question, actually. Because mm-hmm. I thought the same watching the programme. It was in the mortuary. They were running out of storage space in the mortuary, so they say, why didn't they just contact you and say, yeah, well, we're yeah. finished with mm-hmm. Lee's little brain. Mm-hmm. What, what do you want us to do? And they knew as far back as January that the graveyard um, that they put the little baby's organs in was full. So we're talking the month of January, the month of February, the month of March. Uh, it was the end of March that they decided to go incinerate them. They had enough time. I believe they had enough time to find another graveyard, to find some space. Or to give you a little... Mm-hmm. Box coffin. Yeah, a little bit of our son. Give yeah, him and, and let you bury would, him with the mm-hmm. rest of his. Yeah. yeah, we would have gladly took. took we would have been ha- happy to take our son home. Um, I just find it disgraceful that they they are saying it's COVID when I truly believe that uh, they had enough time before COVID hit to well, make arrangements. There was there was no COVID when they did this twenty years ago. So they said nothing. Yeah, to do with COVID. yeah. Yeah, exactly, and we have the excuse of the cyber, the HSE cyber attack as to why we can't get documents. And I did appeal the FOI a number of times. Um, now, everyone that works in the FOI is department, I suppose, is very helpful, and they have gone back when I appealed it to get me more documents. And that's it. It's only recently we learned about the other babies, exactly how many many babies there is and that nothing. for us was yeah. very hard to to know that there's 17 other families out there feeling exactly how we feel yeah. it's just heartbreaking do you know leona i'm even i i'm a daddy of twins so so this mm-hmm. this resonated mm-hmm. even stronger with me last that, night yeah that that's it um, i think even grieving for for lee like i i have accepted my grief i know i'll grieve every milestone lewis makes i know there'll be a part of me that's so sad i'm wishing lee was there hand in hand i think on lewis's wedding day i'll be still my heart will still ache for lee um but that's something that we have accepted we haven't accepted that this human error caused so much more added to our grief and made us feel angry Yes. Tell me a little bit about about Lewis. Lewis is absolutely amazing. He is he keeps us going. He keeps the smile on our face. Um, and that's it. We emotionally we have to be where his mammy and daddy and I want him to have the best in life. I want him to see mammy and daddy happy happy. Even his birthday was um, I suppose I don't want him to ever think that we were upset on his birthday or to take any of his birthday away from him. Like I want him to have his day, and then the day after we ran um, the marathon for for Lee and they did a charity fail upon yeah, helped us. And yeah. um, they have been, they were amazing. Um, I can't speak highly enough of them. Um, but yeah, like I, I just need to be so aware of Lewis's emotion, and I know when he gets older, he'll have so many questions and I just hope that I have all the answers I need that I can give Lewis when he gets And older. in a way I suppose Leona that's why you want all the answers that you want now because when mm-hmm. he sits down and he will to talk to you yep. about his little brother or his twin brother mm-hmm. and he starts asking you questions you mm-hmm. want to have the answers to give yep. him Yeah, I, I want to be able to tell him that we fought so hard 
for him and his brother, um, I want him to be proud of us. I want Lee to be proud of us. This is and never in a million years would I thought that we'd have to come to this, that we'd have to speak out. And this isn't not something that me or Glenn wanted. Um, but I felt like we had no other option. And I want Lewis to know that we'd done everything in our power to get the answers. And I think somewhere out there, Lee is very, very proud of his mammy. I, I hope so. I, re, I really hope dad, so. You know, I, I, I've, I've no words left for you I, other than to say that as a, as a parent, I'm torn apart for you. Just torn Th- apart. Thanks. Not just, just by to, the death. Just to know that. But what happened? Yeah. What happened to you? What was done? Let's, actually, you know what, Leona? Let's stop saying what happened to you. Always done to you, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because and mm-hmm. I'm. This is parent to parent. A deliberate choice was made by somebody, yeah. not mm-hmm. to tell you. Yeah, yeah. That that's that's it. Like, and I know that there is parents working in the. Uh, that's what I always said to Glenn. Like, these people are probably parents themselves. Their mammies themselves and daddies themselves. Like, how are they not taking it? to another level, like an emotional level of, oh God, imagine that was us. Like we're just a normal couple that I did, I, I'd never taught in a million years. Something like this could even happen, never mind say to us. Mm. So it's it's a lot to take in. For all the, for all the good it'll do for, for Aaliyah, for you, this is going to be discussed in the doll today. Mm-hmm. And probably people will shout across the chamber about it and score political points, which we hope they won't. But but is there anything that any politician could do for you and Glenn and Lewis and Lee? Um, I think just to push the the hospital to finalise this report, to give us the answers um, and to make sure this never, ever happens again, to make sure nothing even like this happens again, to make sure there's enough support for these grieving families out there, to make sure there's more, I suppose, stricter laws in place about the consent form and about that we're signing a legal document to say this is what they're going to do when they didn't, they didn't do this, they didn't carry out any yeah. of the two options on the form. They didn't carry out any of the two options. Yeah, just yeah, so briefly that, that you did sign you did sign a form, but none of mm-hmm. this option wasn't on the form. Yeah, yeah, that that's it. Like we need stronger something stronger in place to make sure that this will never ever happen again. I mean it's such a heartbreaking thing yeah. to go through, but to go through all this again afterwards, I don't want anyone at okay. all to have to go through this. That that's one of the most important things I think that we do stop this yeah. now. Not in another twenty years do we have another breaking news that has happened again. We can't allow that to happen. Leona, I know you've had a round of interviews this morning with various mm-hmm. media and the programme itself must have been so tough to make. Where are you getting the... St- where are you and Glenn getting the strength? We have... I have um, amazing support in Glenn. Glenn has been, I mean, my shoulder to cry on. He has wiped my tears. He has... How long he, are you together, he's, he's just amazing. Um... Oh, I think it's 13, 13, 14 years now. Um, so we grew up together, really. Um, we have an amazing relationship, but also my family, oh, they're just they're just something else. I mean, 
I feel like my sister is my little secretary. She helps with all the paperwork. She types everything out. And and my mum is just amazing. She's the one that that's behind the scenes doing everything. Um, she, they're my best friends. My mum and my sister, they do everything for us. My dad, my brother. It's our support. My friends are... It's the support we have, and that's what my dad said. My dad said these the 17 other families may not have the support network you have, Leona, you know, behind you. And we have all these people to lean on. And I felt like that's why it was so hard, because we're in level five lockdown. All I wanted to do was get a hug from my mum or dad, and we couldn't, we couldn't even do that when we got the news. We were speaking to them through a window over the phone. Oh, um, God, but I yeah, our I'm sorry, I forgot network, that, yeah. Mhm. Like, and we were, we had a little raw baby, like at home. Um. So we, were, we were first time parents, I suppose, as well. So it was just all the uncertainty around that. But yeah, I remember just longing for a hug from my mum and dad, and for them to tell me it will be okay. Um. I'm so grateful now that we're, we are out of lockdown, and the support I have is is amazing even the support from strangers last night had is very overwhelming just to know that there's people on our sites it's it's great yeah i mean it when you think of people trying to explain it away using covid like if anything covid made it worse i i completely yeah. i'm so sorry i'd completely forgotten you couldn't mm-hmm. go near your mom and dad they no, couldn't we couldn't. We couldn't. I, yeah, I remember. I can remember ringing them and de- like. No, I don't think anybody took it in. It was like uh, so shocking, and it, it was. I wish I could have just. I suppose broke down with him, but I was trying to be strong for Glenn. Glenn was trying to be strong for me. We tried to put a smile on our face for Lewis. Just the time around getting that, even just to get a phone call, was just crazy I suppose to hear it over the phone and not in person I suppose was hard as well Nothing will can ever replace your gorgeous little Mm -hmm. boy but can anything Leona in any small way can anything even begin to put this right and help you heal I I think once we get the answers and once we are we know that this will not happen once we know that there's changes, the necessary changes are made um, regarding the morgue, regarding the organs, regarding the consent forms. There's big changes that need to be made. And once them changes are made, we we probably will be able to move on knowing that mm. any future little angel babies are protected and no family will ever have to go through this again. That's when that's when I I think we'll be happily able to move on. In the UK they made it law. They need to do that here. And, and yeah, that that's exactly what they, they need to push it through and make it law like I in I can't get my head around that. Someone just made this decision to incinerate the organs and and it was just done like that. There was no other sign off, there was no other discussion around it. That it was just done. Leona, um Thank you so much for speaking to me on the opinion line. My my deepest and sincerest condolences to you and to Glenn and to Lewis and the last of his little brother and to your entire family so and much. circle of friends. And thank you for being with me today. You are a thank remarkable you for the young couple. You're a remarkable young thank couple. Thank you. Take care.
Thanks. See you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. That's Leona Birmingham. Whew. Yeah, someone... I'm going to go a step further with this. Somebody signed their name to a letter, to an email, to an invoice. You don't need me to tell you for what, think. That somebody's name is in the minutes of a meeting. It's written down somewhere that this decision was made. Who is that individual? Who signed off on this? Who signed the letter? Who sent the email? Who stamped the invoice? Who agreed to pay for the service? Where is this? There must, this has to be in the minutes of a meeting somewhere. Who is it? Who had the say? Because the way the service works in this country, somebody did. My next question. Why do they still have a job? Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, people simply blown away uh, by Leona and by Glenn on the programme last night uh, as they talk about the desperate loss of their lovely little baby, Lee, trying to raise his twin brother, Lewis, preparing for when Lewis will ask all of the questions that he'd be naturally entitled to ask and hoping that they will one day have the answers for him. It's, it's, It's heartbreaking to listen to them, but their bravery would inspire you. They really are packed with guts, the two of them. It's incredible. Uh, Burr says, listening to your programme was barbaric what they did to this lady's flesh and blood. Why in God's name didn't they just put little angel, angel or body parts in a small coffin? A disgrace to them. And thanks. Uh, again, more people asking the same question as I'm asking. Who is the person who sanctioned this? Who is the person who put their name to what was done and why are they still in a job? A typical of, of, of Ireland, of course, what we'll get now is a, a list of excuses and obfuscation and fudging and maybe this and we'll do better the next time. We'll break news on the do better the next time thing. This isn't the first time that this happened. It's the second time. Probably the third time too. We mightn't even have heard about it. Between What's the betting, for example? That between the last time and this time, there wasn't another time we didn't hear about. And it's a justified question. Yeah, it's horrible, horrible, horrible. We still have loads of questions. It almost seems irrelevant compared to it, but still have loads of stuff coming in about the idea for a bonus. I will get to them. Also, we've had quite a long communication about autism and uh Diagnosis and services, which Vic has voiced for us. We'll get to that at some point this hour. Just on the bonus, like, 
ridiculous gas. I know I'll come back to that. I'll come back to it. It's a bit trivial compared to. But I do want to talk to Catherine. This is Catherine Dolphin Griffin, who's just written a book about her cancer journey, but not just her cancer journey, herself and her dad both had a cancer journey. Catherine, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Thank you so much for having me on. And and your dad passed away on World Cancer Day. 2017, that's 2017, right. And you've, you're publishing a book. Um, or you published a book yeah. to tell the I'm story. I'm publishing it. It's, yeah. Um, so my dad, I had cancer myself. And then my dad had cancer yeah. five times. He lost his fifth battle. Right. Um, and I suppose... I'm a bit of a daddy's girl. Um, my mom left home when I was 16. I have four brothers, so I was always dad's right hand, I suppose. Um, so, yeah, when he was diagnosed the last time, we knew he wasn't more than likely going to survive because the drug he needed wasn't online at the time. It wasn't available. Yeah. So I suppose I always had unfinished business then with cancer that he didn't have that opportunity, I suppose, to get that drug in time and for it to benefit him. So... I suppose when you go through something difficult and you suffered, you don't want other people to suffer no. too. You just want to help. So I feel, I kind of said, if I got to one year with no diagnosis or operations or surgeries or anything, yeah. I would do something to pay it back. So, okay. yeah, my husband just said, why don't you write about what you know? So that's where that was born. We'll start at the start. You were, you were teaching mm-hmm. in class, I think. And that's right. some one of your pupils commented on your voice. That's right. I'm a little boy. I was teaching first class at the time and um, he just kept coming up to me saying, Montour, your voice sounds really funny. And, you know, I used to sing with them and I I couldn't sing. I'd noticed I wasn't singing with them and I was getting really tired. My voice was getting tired and I couldn't kind of raise my voice or project my voice. So, um, yeah, but at the time my dad was going through a bone marrow transplant. So I was going from school to Dublin to St. James's. So I put it down to tiredness. Um, and eventually then when that little boy was kind of persistent, bless him, he's in fourth year now in secondary school. Um, he came to me and he said, just go to the doctor. And it just sounded so practical. And I love listening to kids. I mean, kids are so straightforward. There's no messing around with them. So I said, OK, I will go. And then the next day he said, did you go? Um, I said, yes. Um, and I said, thank you very much. I'm going to take lots of throat lozenges and I'll be good. Um, yeah, so it kind of went from there. Then I went to the otolaryngologist and he did some investigations and a biopsy and they discovered that I had two tumours growing out of either side of my thyroid so I had to have a full thyroidectomy um, and and then radioactive iodine treatment um, in the isolation unit in the CUH. That's kind of like um, COVID, to be honest. You know, you're you're away from everyone. And when you come home, you have to be back from everyone for a further six weeks and you can't touch anyone. And I mean, I'm a bit of a stickleback. I love to hug and I love to be, you know, up close to everybody. So that was that was quite difficult. But look, you know, it, it was fine. It was great to have the treatment and have it behind me, you know. Mm. That was that was 2008, that was actually 2012. My dad's first diagnosis was 2008. I see, I see. Mm-hmm. And 2000, 2012 was your own diagnosis. And yeah. then you you obviously made a full recovery, did you? I did, but I had a lot of um, complications along the way. Um, not related, apparently, but still complications nonetheless. Um, I've had my gallbladder removed. Okay. I was diagnosed celiac. I'm partially deaf now. Um, I wear hearing aids. Um, I've had my fallopian tubes removed. Oh. Yeah, I've had a, a lot going on. My bowel doesn't work anymore either, so I'm on oh. a, a, 
pacemaker drug for that. So it's been nonstop. But at the same time, I suppose that's that's what I wanted to say in the book, that you can go through all this and, and all these challenges, but you can come out the other side if you have hope. And I'm no different to anybody else. I mean, everyone faces a challenge every single day. We get up, we face something and we get over it and we look back and we kind of go, you know, God, you know, I, I got through that. You know, I suppose we just forget to be grateful for what we've got through and, and the strength that we all have. Um, so that's what I want to put across in my book, you know, that we all have this inner strength. It doesn't come externally. It comes from within and we get through all our challenges, you know, if we just take one step at a time, I suppose, and look at what we've achieved and, you know, <laughs> get through each day, I suppose, with a bit of positivity and a bit of hope. Yeah. yeah like, in the midst of it all, where do you, where yeah. do you find that? Um, I suppose just, yeah, I suppose when you love people, you know, you, you keep going for your loved ones. You never give up. I mean, I adored my dad, so that, like, giving up was never an option. Um, yeah, so I definitely love gratitude, you know, for all I have in my life. I, I am so, so very grateful and grateful for all the opportunities. Like, there's no doubt my grief leveled me. You know, there's no point saying it didn't. And I struggled with it for possibly two years, really, you know, Um but yeah, you just got through it with the people around me and, you know, being kind to myself and asking for help. I mean, I think, you know, grief needs to be normalized as well. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, myths around that, you know, you can just get on with it and get over it. Like we're great in Ireland for funerals. And then it kind of just drops off and you're kind of left there, you know. And I suppose my dad was many people to me. He, yes, he was my father, but he was also like a partner. He was like my child in the end. I mean, he used to call me the mother, you know. So, mm. I mean, it was a huge journey to be on with him and, and juggling your own illnesses while trying to mind someone as well and still going and work and hold down a job and be a wife and a mom. It, it is difficult, but, you know, it, it's about speaking up for yourself and changing your attitude and taking small steps and knowing yourself best. You know, you do know yourself best. Um, and ask for help, you know. I mean, I was slow to ask for help, but I'm getting better at it, you know, and, and that, that helps. Yeah. Is, is, that the, is that another message from the book, Hope to Cope, it's called? By the way. It is, yeah. It's Hope to Cope. And the subtitle is Accepting What We Cannot Change, Changing What We Can, because there are things that we can change. We, we can change our present. We can change our future. We, we may not be able to change our past, but it's never too late to to change the next step for ourselves, you know, and to grasp something. I mean, I'm a nervous wreck doing this book, but it's been so rewarding. It's been so invigorating. People have been absolutely phenomenal, like the amount of support and sponsorship that I've received along the way. It's, it's been overwhelming, you know, it, it really, really has. You said deal with the things that you can and learn to, to decide or learn to know what you can and you can't. But there must have been many unknowns in both your journey and Dad's, God rest him. That's yeah, but I think that's a good thing, though. Really? <laughs> you know, not, not knowing, yeah, not knowing definitely worked for me. You know, I just literally looked at what was in front of me. I mean, like I went back and retrained as a teacher in the middle of all this and did my Leaving Cert Irish. And if I had to stand and look at that now and go, oh, my God, I was going to do all that, I wouldn't have done it. It's Hang on, in the, mid- in the middle of it all, you decided to do the Leaving Cert? <laughs> I did Leaving Cert Irish back in 2009. Um, and then I went on to Hibernia and became a teacher then two years later in 2011. Nice. Mm. But it is one step at a time. And I, I know I'm kind of sounding patronising now. It, it, and that's not what I no, intend to do. No, I don't, I just, don't think you, see, I don't think you step, are. Yeah. I don't think you are because to be patronising would be just someone who'd observed you and then was telling us all how, no, you are you and you've been through this. You're not patronising anybody. You're saying, listen, it's actually, it worked for me. Yeah. yeah, yeah, just one step at a time. Like, you know, do the first exam, do the next exam 
make the dinner, do the next small thing and not look any further. Same when dad was told he was going to die. We didn't look at his death. We looked at his life and how we could make his life really, really good, how we could respect his wishes and support him in his journey and how we could keep him alive as long as we can. I mean, you know, you're ringing up, you're phoning up, you're fighting all the time. Every day you're fighting for the people you love. You know, we're all doing it every single day. We're either fighting for our children or we're fighting for our partners or we're fighting for our parents. We're all fighting, you know, um, and it is, it, it's my strong belief that we all have that inside us. Sometimes it's fear and there's a lot about fear in my book and just breaking that fear and just tipping away one one little micro step at a time to get to the other side and then actually write it down. You know, I say this in my book, write down what you've achieved and look at that list you know, just look at it and take it on board and say, my God, you know, I actually have done a lot and I've achieved a lot. And that helps you with the next challenge because it's the same strategies all the time. It, it's the same coping mechanisms. It's just your approach, really, isn't it? You know, mm. write down the list of what you have achieved and every mm-hmm. time you achieve something else, add to it. Yeah, exactly. Like and, then, little, and, um, and then when you feel in the, uh, you're having a dark day, take <laughs> out that list. Yeah, look at that it. list. Yeah. yeah, and the other thing I speak a lot about in the book is just looking back at your day and analysing your day and say, what took from my day today? It mightn't be anyone's problem. I mean, we never know what the other person is carrying, um, but we still have to deal with that person, you know, so we have to be kind and respectful. But at the end of the day, just sit down for five minutes and say, right, you know, what took from my day today and what gave to my day today? You know, what sparked joy and what took joy? And if something is just upsetting you for whatever reason try and stand back from it you know and and give it lots of space you know I I use the analogy of the elephant with diarrhea in my book so lots of space for the elephant with diarrhea but just to stay back from anything that's causing you upset and then you can eventually bring it back into your life when you're able to deal with it so it's just looking at what works for you and what doesn't work for you and if something works for you surround yourself with that and stay away from what doesn't. It's just all those little strategies, really, that I've just picked up from pure and utter survival and by accident. And You, you, you know that I'm going to spend the rest of the day now thinking about an elephant with diarrhea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's lots more. They all come from my dad, all his little... <laughs> yeah. Listen, cool it's lo- to lovely to speak with you and, and I wish you well. I wish you every success, Catherine, Dolphin, okay. Griffin, and the, the new book is called Hope to Cope and thank you very much Catherine, uh, it's the number for the Irish Cancer Society. If anybody would like to talk to them, or indeed if any concerns, you can call your GP. But the Irish Cancer Society, 1-800-200-700, 1-800-200-700. And all proceeds from Catherine's book are going to Marymount. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie All the stars on one show. Yo, what's up? It's your boy KSI. Yo, what's good, Universe? It's 24K Golden. I'm Miley Cyrus. Hi, we're Picture This. This is Medusa. The Hit Mix with Shane Bucks. Shane Bucks. On your radio, weeknights from 8. With New Market Motors Volkswagen. Low rate finance and purchase contributions across the Volkswagen van range. Newmarketvolkswagen.ie. Corks 96 FM. Every so often we get either an email or a very long WhatsApp message that we just feel the best thing to do is have it voiced up by one of our people here so that you can get uh, the full impact of what is being said. And uh, this is such a communication. Came into us um, overnight. Hi, PJ. It's 2am 
and I can't stop crying. I have two boys with autism. My eldest son is 14. He's non-verbal. He's the sweetest child you'll ever meet. He loves dancing, swimming, running, bowling, but most of all, horse riding. My other son is 10. He is verbal. He adores jolly phonics, reading, and also horse riding. I've been trying to find suitable horse riding lessons for them. Why do people treat autistic children differently? Last week, they attended a lesson with their cousin. The girl was very strict, as you should be, around horses. She had someone holding the reins of each horse, but she showed the kids how to mount a horse. She practised stopping and starting, turning right and left. It was brilliant to see someone treating them like ordinary, normal kids. Don't get me wrong. They need repetition to be spoken to directly, but they can learn. It will take many, many lessons with a kind and patient instructor, but they are capable of learning. This week I texted the owner of the same stables and stated again that the boys were autistic. We got a class at 5pm on Saturday. In my stupidity, I assumed it would be a class of three kids as before. It was the owner who took the class and before the class even started, she said in front of all the other parents and kids that they were not suitable for a class and asked me to take the boys outside. She sent two teenagers out with horses to the outside arena. The boys got on the horses and all the teenagers did was walk around with the kids chatting between themselves. I was so upset. After 10 minutes, I couldn't take it. I wanted to take the boys home. I explained to the girls what the boys were shown the previous week. They said, we didn't know you wanted us to do that. I didn't cry in front of them. They did a few things with the kids and I took them home. I'm so upset. They got to ride the horses, so they were happy. All the kids in our estate get to go to the local school, join the local clubs. I'm sure it's about 60 euro a season for kids to join their local GAA. I pay 200 euro for a speech and language therapist to visit my son's school, to talk to his teacher and to do one session with him. SLT is 90 euro. Occupational therapist, 95 euro. Generally, therapists want to assess your child initially, which can cost up to 400 euro. Last year, I spent €500 Euro to visit a psychiatrist and got a two-page report. I also spent €550 Euro for a psychologist report that the school asked me to get. There's 35 kilometres between my son's schools. All I want is for my kids to be treated with kindness and patience and to be able to access classes in their locality and to be part of their community. Not to have to travel long distance and be charged inflated prices for their therapies and pastimes. Thanks to Vic for reading that one for us. And if anybody has advice or help or just wants to support that mum, then maybe we can put you in touch. But uh, I I know exactly the kind of things she's talking about. I'm sure others will too. But if anybody identifies with it, uh, then do let us know. 1850 Now, Niamh, you're going to mention any uh, venues, shall we say, when you're talking about us here, but are talking about this. But But... You've been in town, I think, this week, and you've made some observations. Good morning to you. Morning, how are you? Good. So, you're a student. I am, indeed. Okay. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of what I wanted to talk about today, was that I was out in town last night um, to finally experience a normal night out as a student. 
Uh, we were moved to these high stools looking out upon what can only be described as a nightclub before the pandemic. Um, I was kind of shocked by it. Um, it was It's great to see the country reopening. Um, it's fantastic to see students finally being able to enjoy the full student experience. But for me, the penny dropped. It clicked with me that this is normal. Life is reopening and returning to normal. Um, but I'm only able to attend college for two hours a week for three grand a year. So while the country is reopening, our college is doing the opposite. So that's what I'm here to chat about. Sure. So you're, you have two, is it two in-person lectures a week and then everything else is on, on Zoom, I take it, or something? Yeah, so it's two hours a week from next week onwards and we haven't received any communication about that, about where we're going. Um it's nobody's talking about this you know they're the college is trying to give this perception of a happy return to campus taking happy pictures of students delighted to be back but it isn't the reality there's there's some students who are back two or three days a week um every college in the country is open every school in the country is open so it's not equal education for all yet we're all paying the same fees um, so we were, yeah, it's it's, it's crazy. What, what year <laughs> um, are you in? I'm in final year. I'm okay. a final year business student. Right. And about how many hours mm-hmm. per week of, of class time would you expect to have? Um, upwards of about 20 hours, 20 give hours. or take. So you have two hours yeah. of that and the rest is online. Yeah, all online. Uh, and you're comparing what is your day-to-day reality with what you saw in town last night. Yeah, it just the penny dropped. You know, Simon Harris promised that we'd return to campus in April and MTU only disputed the fact that we're not returning five days before our return date. Uh, I have friends in accommodation who, who got accommodation under the impression that they would be returning fully. We're already in the midst of an accommodation crisis and now students are still locked inside, battling with their mental health and trying to complete a degree online. And students have come to me personally thinking about dropping out and thinking of deferring because we're not availing of the services, not availing of the face-to-face contact. And this is the reality. Yeah. Yeah. And when you talk to your teachers and lecturers mm-hmm. about, about all, and have you been, I mean, a, a final year business students tend, or final year students in any faculty tend to have a bit more access to the, the senior lecturers than first years, shall we say. When you discuss it with them, what do they say? With the lecturers, and I mean they're fantastic. There's a fantastic uh, team of lecturers in the business school and they are, you can sense the frustration and you can sense the miscommunication that they've been fed from the higher level. Um, They're just as confused as us. Um, They don't know whether they're going back. I, I know some lecturers are on campus and aren't able to do our Zoom classes live and we have pre-recorded classes that we have to watch because they can't, there's nowhere on the campus for them to do a live class with us. Really? Crikey, there's no, my goodness, there's no lecture theatre or no room even that can go live. No, no, yeah. And like, I completely understand that health and safety plays a huge role in deciding the resumption of on-campus activity you know, COVID is still a thing. Mm. But well, look, I, MTU did give us a statement 
um, whom we told them mm-hmm. to come to talk to us. And they said they're adhering to protocols. They're following yep. the national guidelines which are set out for all colleges. They say they are not responsible for what people do when they're in town. There was no socialising on campus last night that MTU was aware of. Fair response? Yeah. Um, no, because it's not true. They, they said in um, the communication they sent out to us that comprehensive risk controls, including ventilation and capacity issues, are in place to ensure our safety. When in fact, back in 2019, the ventilation issue was raised to the Students' Union and it was deemed a fire hazard. So since then, the air handling units were still not installed. And as a result of this, 37 classrooms are shut down, shut down and can't be used. Right. So th- there's still issues ongoing. Right. Um, but there are people on campus. I was on campus yesterday for the welcome week that we're having. And it was like normal and I, I, I couldn't get over it. Like it was great to see, but I'm still on co- on only in college for two hours a week for three grand a year. And where do you take the rest of your classes then? Not at home, I take it? At home, yeah, all at home. Right. Are you are you in are you are you actually at home home or are you in accommodation? I'm at home. I'm fortunate enough enough to be near enough to the campus. Right. Um but not many students have that there's international students who thought they'd be in classes, but they're not. Yeah. Um, okay. I just want a concrete answer really as to why we're not returning to campus. Yeah. And that detailed plan no. is issued to we're, all students. we're supposed to have much more opening up after the 22nd mm-hmm. of October, which would be three weeks tomorrow. Have you had any indication from college as to whether, whether things will change then? No. No, no. All right, listen, I'm going to leave it with you there, Neve, and th- thank you for that. Uh, it's interesting that colleges were supposed to be opening uh, far more, if not in full. There's Neve, finally your business student, at MTU has about 20 hours class class time per week, only getting two hours of it actually at the college and the rest of it she's watching at home. Some of it's even pre-recorded because they can't go live. That in itself isn't a huge issue, but it's, it's there. And the statement that they issued to us, I'll read it again for the interest of balance, MTU are adhering to protocols. They're following the national guidelines set out for all colleges. They're not responsible for what people do when they're in town. There was no socialising on campus last night that MTU were aware of. Well, I guess they are not responsible for what people do in town, in Washington Street or on Bunker Street or anywhere. They're not responsible for that, to be fair. But this idea that everyone's back at campus or close to being back at campus as normal, according to Neve anyway, just ain't true. 1850 The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 On Cork's 96FM. Right, the lineup this weekend on Premier League Live. Powered by TalkSport with uh, Trevor Welsh on 96 We've got Manchester United versus Everton, 
2.30 on Saturday. Wolves against Newcastle United at 3 and Brighton against Arsenal at 5.30. With now streaming live Premier League action with a now sports or sports extra membership. Listen Saturday on the Cork's 96FM app or 96FM.ie. And that's that one done for today. Anya, Lisa, Shannon, are you trying to get us all to jump in the sea during October, you mad woman? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Thanks for having me on. And I most definitely am. (laughs) (laughs) Now, you're talking to someone who swims in the sea in Ireland very strictly in a four-week window between the middle of July and the middle of August. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I know a lot of people in Ireland actually won't even consider going into the water for the October month. But I think the aim of it all was to just get people coming in into the water. It's going into wintertime, so a lot of people will struggle with the wintertime, especially here in Ireland. So we just wanted to get people to go out and do a bit of wild swimming because cold water water therapy is also really good for the mind and blood circulation. And it's nice to meet new people as well. So I'm encouraging everyone to get out and about this October just mm. for one quick dip. Your your local your local beach. You do do it a couple of times if you can. Now the reason real real reason you're on is you are a marine biologist. You're originally a Clare woman, which we'll forgive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. that's okay. <laughs> but but you 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 are organising beach cleanups in two of the loveliest beaches we have, Garrettstown and Gary Lucas. How did it all come about? Yeah, so I mean, I collaborated with Clean Coast Ireland and it's basically uh, towards the end of the summer months coming into winter, Clean Coast wanted to get all our beaches ready for the winter time. So I decided, because I'm based in Cork, I decided to do Gary Lucas and Garrettstown. So we actually went down and we started in Gary Lucas. And like when you walk down to those two beaches, you would actually consider them quite clean beaches. But we we actually took us about two and a half hours just to get to get to clean Gary Lucas it was crazy the amount of stuff we found like there was clothes people just don't want to bring their clothes back from the beach apparently that's what I've realised there was loads of fishing gear and stuff it was crazy in all seriousness it's something that I've been given out about here for years we do treat our beaches appallingly badly I mean glass bottles old barbecues rolled up nappies yeah particularly yeah, particularly like the, we found a lot of um, campsites up on the sand dunes and a lot of cigarette butts. Mm. I mean, just bring a small plastic bag with you and just if you're smoking, just throw them into the bag and then just take them home because they do cause a lot of pollutions, especially to marine life. They'll just consider that food if it gets yeah. washed back out to sea. Yeah. yeah, beer cans, bottles, broken bottles. Yeah. yeah, I feel like people, once they go to the beach, they think, you know, it's still our country. Ireland has such pristine, amazing beaches. You know, we should be so proud of them. Just bring your rubbish home. It doesn't take that much of an effort. I mean, you're bringing all your gear back with you. Well, some people are leaving the clothes, but aside from that, you're essentially bringing your gear back. So just take a bag with you and collect your rubbish as well. You know, like we're an island surrounded by seawater. We should be really proud of where we're from. Now, can people get involved in your cleanups on a more regular basis? Yeah, so because we only got to to do Gary Lucas Beach, I'm going to do another one in Garrettstown in the next two weeks. I haven't organised it yet, but I'll be posting it up on my Instagram page. So my Instagram is oceangirl underscore Anya, for anyone who wants to check that out. Okay. Talk to me about your fascination with the ocean. What, what, What encouraged you to become a marine biologist and base yourself in Cork? 
Well, so I'm Clare woman, as you say. I'm a proud Clare woman. I originated from Ennis, but I was always down in Hinch Beach, down in County Clare. And I just, I was so fascinated with the rock pools down there. So I studied in NUIG and then I went down to Cork to do my master's in UCC. And I've just been here ever since. It's been four years now and I absolutely love Cork. I feel like there's just so much to explore around here. And like, especially Ireland, I mean, like we have so many beaches and... I think a lot of people, you know, they might see something washed up and they'll go, oh, what's that? Even, you know, the seaweed or anything. And that's why I started the Instagram page just to talk about Irish marine life and to encourage people to get out there and actually explore what Ireland has to offer. And do you see swim all year round? I do. Yeah, I do. Now, I'm not fond of the cold either. People think that I am. I'm I'm actually not. I just like to go in. I'll go in for, in the wintertime now, I'll go in for about five minutes max and I'll right. run straight back out. But it's just, it's great. It's so good for your head as well. And it's nice to meet people down there. You know, like it is, a, it's, it's a tight knit community. Yeah. That's why I want to encourage people to join me in October because the more the merrier really and bring well, your flask. Why, why do you think it got so popular? It was one of the things that got really popular, particularly during, I think the first lockdown. And yeah, then it, it did. Why do you think but that I, was? I think mainly because we couldn't actually, we couldn't leave that, like, I think it was, was in a two kilometre distance was the lockdown at the start. So people, I think the closest beach or the closest area they went to, they went for a swim. And I think a lot of people were quite lonely during the lockdown. You know, some people might have been living at home and it just became this such tight knit, strong community for everyone. Kind of, we all have a, our own story to tell when it comes to COVID and the lockdown. And I think the sea swimming community really did help a lot of people. And mm. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. I know some people, it's not for them. And, and that's okay too. Do you know, mm. everyone has their own opinions on it, but it was it was brilliant and it did help a lot of people with yeah. regards to mental health as well. Just somebody that I follow on Twitter and has had on the show a few times over the years about me on various things, just posted this morning a photograph of beautiful Fountainstown, one of my favourite beaches in the world, not just in Ireland. And there she was, gone off for an early morning swim. A man, I'd be tempted to try it, but I, you know, I have this, I have this thing that I go, I get into my knees and then I'll start crying. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Do you know what? I hate to say it, but everyone says it. Do you know the the old saying, oh, you have a grand once you're in? It's it is honestly it is so true. true. It's so true. <laughs> you will actually be grand once you're in. You know, Cork has actually warm waters and the waters in Ireland, you know, they stay warm up until the very end of October because they keep warming throughout the summer. Mm. And then that heat stays until the end of October. So it's actually only going to get really cold come November, December. No, there's, war- there's, so warm there's warm and there's warm there on you. There's warm and there's warm. This this is like, let, let's not lie to people here this will never be <laughs> this will never be Santa Panza like no well DJ we're still on the wild Atlantic way so it's it's never going to be Panza no unfortunately not <laughs> yeah yeah wherever there's a place I think you may or may not know there's a, there's a place in the north called Port Stewart and uh, uh, it's a beautiful resort lovely resort and they have a thing called the Herring Pond no I've never heard of that I swear to God I swear to God woman it is a swimming hole it is the really? coldest goddamn place I've ever put my two feet. <laughs> and it was 31. We were up there during the July heat wave. So it was 31 degrees on oh, the yeah. palm. <laughs> and 10 in the water. Oh, God. Well, I tell you, there was a place now. It's totally blocked off now at the moment. There was a place down in West Cork and it was a natural swimming pool, yeah. a really deep rock pool. I went in and 
I tell you, I've never felt cold like I felt it before. It's just the stillness of the water. Yeah. I don't know what it is. It's just, it's like an ice bath. So I do feel your pain. Feeling. But there is a buzz. There is a buzz you get, isn't it? Once you yeah. get in and oh, get down. Is. I think I'm, I must yeah. give this a go. I have to go there. If, if nothing else, I can go down to Fountainstone because I can get hot steaming coffee to warm me up in Angela's afterwards. Exactly. So I, I and you I never will. regret it. You never regret going for a sea swim. Okay. You never will. Ocean Girl Anya is your Insta. Good luck with everything. Lovely talking Thanks, to you. Thanks, PJ. Take Cheers. care. That's Anya Lisa Shannon. I will. I promise. I'm making a promise now, which means I'll have to actually do something about it. I am actually going to go down to Fountainstown in October, some afternoon or evening when it's half nice, and get in. I've never done this before, but I'm going to now. I did a dip in the nip, actually, down in, in East Cork a few years ago. I think that was done in April. Jesus, it was freezing. Should we give it a shot? We'll give it a shot. 1850-715-996. Is anybody missing a budgie? Listen, the things that people... Sally rang. A blue budgie has just flown into her garden at Castle Road in Black Rock. They've managed to entice him into a van. A van? Okay. So if anybody's missing a budgie, they can let us know. A blue budgie. In Black Rock, the blue budgie of Black Rock, Sally has managed to coax the budgie into a van. Let us know, and we can put you in touch. 1850 715 Just a few more comments on bonuses for frontline workers. I could stay reading these till 3 o'clock. Caller says, with all the talk of frontline workers, what about taxi drivers? You see, there's one that wasn't on my list. My apologies. I'm a taxi driver. I don't compare myself in any way to a medical person or a cleaner. But I'll tell you something we did do. Right at the start of the pandemic, we took people to test centres. We transported people to hospitals, to high-risk areas. We took samples. In the early stages, the procedures for that were worrying. We didn't know what we were dealing with. And I'll tell you something else. I'm not looking for a bonus. You sign up for the army, there's a risk of war. Same with the guards, the firemen, the teachers. And the teachers, are they seriously comparing any of their risk to any of ours? It's ridiculous. If military personnel or Gardaí go above and beyond the call, all they get's a medal. So if the medical staff want recognition, then give them a flipping medal, says Paddy. Cleaners, what about them working at home? I have them on my list. My husband worked right through 2020. His factory didn't close. It's going to be a hard one because everyone is going to say they worked. PJ says you're getting confused. Are this you're getting confused between frontline and essential? Well, hey, that's an easy confusion to make. Ed, this is pathetic. The teacher saying she doesn't want money. This was Joanne earlier, Jennifer earlier on. She could always hand it over to charity. Also, why don't the government just pay decent wages? If they're trying to boost the economy, they should be honest and say this is just a typical politician's trick. Uh, PJ says, Declan, please don't forget that not all frontline healthcare workers are public servants, like HSE. People who work in GP surgeries, like nurses and secretaries, they're all private workers, but surely they too deserve recognition. Pauline says, don't forget the staff who work crazy hours in the port to get our supplies. Yes. And I'll leave it with this one. I think no one should get a bonus. This isn't signed. I'm not kind of surprised. This isn't your last two digits on your Phone number are one three. I think no one gets a bo- or should get a bonus. It was their job. Like a marriage, does a wife get more than when a husband gets ill? No, it was in the vows. And teachers, 
Ah, please. We could keep it going for another hour, but I won't. I won't. 1850-715-996. James. Fate draws us back together. Now your enemy is my enemy. How did that happen? Well, you live long enough. Harder to tell the good from bad, villains from heroes these days. What is it? You don't know what this is. Is she one of them? I don't know her at all. When her secret finds its way out, it'll be the death of you. Can't wait to see it. I have my tickets myself from the boy for Sunday. Crossy, you were at the premiere in Dublin, you lucky devil. Is it as good as they're saying? Good morning. Good morning. Do you know what? Five out of five, and it's across the board. I've heard, you know, there's some critics who are really tough on James Bond. Everybody, five out of five. It's just out of this world. Like, I, I thought maybe, you know, for his last movie, they'll probably, you know, try and introduce somebody or, you know, they won't make Daniel Craig the centre of attention. He is the centre of attention. It is just, it's about two and a half, maybe two, two hours, two hours 45 40, minutes. So, so yeah, make yeah, sure like, you've... Yeah, bring a spare cushion, I would say. You'll have a sore bum at the end of it. Well, we were at the very back and there, my friend was like, why are you standing up? I says, I just can't. I says, it's a long time we're sitting down for. Make sure you have two drinks and a popcorn when you're going in. All right, okay. They really do. From what I heard, um, COVID was kind of like a blessing in disguise for this Bond movie because it wasn't ready when it was supposed to come out. It wasn't like the fully finished product that they wanted wasn't wasn't there at that time. So because they, they had an extra 18 months to concentrate on it, you know, develop Daniel Craig's character, because do you know what they said? This is Daniel saying goodbye to James Bond. This isn't about talking about somebody else. This isn't about, you know, you know, trying this woke culture. This is James Bond, Daniel Craig, and this is his final movie. Are you it's a Bond uh, fan? Incredible. Anyway? Do you know, I would have been a Daniel Craig fan because, you know, I'm too... I'm 33, so the Pierce Brosnan's Bond wasn't really the Bond that I got into. I've watched all the old ones before, but I kind of found that, you know, they weren't really believable. But with, with the Daniel Craig Bond, it was action-packed. He was yeah. running all over the place. And you kind of you could kind of feel that some things could happen in real life the way it did. Um, if you're a fan of Cars, Aston Martins, oh, yeah. uh, Land there's Rovers. A scene, there's a scene this. where he's got machine guns in the front row. I just can't wait for that. It's no time, <laughs> no time to die, by the way, is the movie. What's this thing about uh, Kate Middleton is after setting uh, um, dress sales into orbit again? So last night, the London the London red carpet premiere, it's uh, like I go to them pre-COVID, I used to go maybe once a week and you'd rarely, rarely, rarely get the royals at it. But for Bond's last movie, they were like, we are going to go. And you'd want to see her. She looked gorgeous in this gold long dress that looked like a Princess Diana dress that she wore to a Bond movie years and years and years ago. And yeah, wherever she got it from, the likes of, you know, H&M and all that, the fast fashion, are now trying to find a dress like this to go, we've got a replica. We've got something that cost 20 euro or 30 euro and not the thousands that uh, Kate Middleton would have wore last night. Um, but everyone was at it. Right. And a, a funny little fact, not, not one movie, not one movie around the world uh, was started before it started at the London one. So there was a guy with a phone to tell us in Dublin when it was press played in London, because London was the very, very first screening anywhere in the world, even previous screenings. Yeah. So like we usually before we go to interview them, we'd always get to see the movie in the morning time. And uh, we weren't allowed to. They were like, no, no, no one's getting to see the movie. Crikey. 
bar when it airs. Well, yeah. wor- worth waiting for, I think, is certainly what you're saying to me. Crossy, the James Bond movie opens Thursday, No Time to Die. I'm going to see it Sunday. I absolutely can't wait. That's it. We're done. See you tomorrow just after nine. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.